the church of tolerance revelation chapter 2 verses 18 through 29 tolerance has started a new era of self-glorification and worship in this climate the truth of christianity can be lost and or misunderstood no doctrine or teaching is safe from corruption and or complete rejection. The standard of belief today is the individual. And if you challenge this, you will be called and labeled intolerant and also a bigot or a hypocrite. We find ourselves in a buffet line, if you will, of belief systems. Everything is served. And you're allowed to pick and choose whatever you want. Now, unfortunately, regrettably, this has found its way into the church. One only accepts doctrines or teachings that justify his or her beliefs or ethics or behavior. And there is a disregard or a complete rejection of doctrines that expose and convict. The church of Thyatira was guilty of this kind of individualism. They stopped listening to those who were proclaiming the truth and they tolerated, see verse 20, those who told them what they wanted to hear. Now the city of Thyatira was a commercial town located on the Lycos River. 40 miles southeast of Pergamon. It was located on trade routes, and they took advantage of commercial and manufacturing companies, or if you call them companies back then. It was well known for its development of its trade guilds. Now, Lydia, the seller of purple fabrics that we read about in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, she may have belonged to one of these guilds. We do not know. Some of the guilds were leather workers, wool workers, weavers, bakers, tailors, candle makers, cobblers, potters, bronzesmiths, and blacksmiths, stone cutters, and yes, dyers, excuse me, dyers of purple cloth. That's just to name a few. For a population wasn't that big. That's a lot of trade guilds there. Now, religious life was influenced by the trade guilds. Each one of them had its own patron god or goddess. And probably linked to the guilds was pressure to participate in idolatry. The feasts that they would have were the heart and soul of social and commercial life. To refuse to participate would mean an end of your business, perhaps, or even goodwill of the community. Now, the primary god of the city was Apollo, the sun god, the son of Zeus. Now, as a side note, additional feature of the city was a famous oracle named Sambotha. Now, she was a Jewish prophetess. That's what's left of one of the Sybil shrines there. She was operated one of those, and she was predominant in the city in the later part of the first century. And a significant portion of the city seemed to give credits to her. Now, some scholars believe there may be some connection between her 
and the person Jezebel that he mentions specifically in the letter, but as I'll tell you later, the jury's still out. We're not quite sure who Jezebel was per se. Of course, there was a Jezebel of the Old Testament, but we'll get to that in the moment. The letter starts off in verse 18, as you can read, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the Son of God. And this is the only place where you find that title, Son of God, being used in the book of Revelation. Now the reason for it, probably because of the centrality of Apollo, the son of Zeus. He is making clear it is Jesus, not Apollo, who is the true, the only son of the true living God as compared to Apollo. And of course, this description connotes or implies or signifies divinity and majesty. Look how he's described. Has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. You may remember this description back in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and also you find it in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. That flame of fire, some render it a fiery flame or a blazing fire. It's portraying his penetrating insight and judgment. The incisive comprehension of Christ who knows precisely and exactly what is transpiring among all his churches. Even now, he knows exactly what's going on in your life. No matter how bad you try to hide it, he knows precisely and exactly what's going on. The description of burnished or fine or polished bronze or fine brass represents strength, power, and might. Now there may be some reference to one of the guilds in the city. Now listen to this. They learned how to distill zinc and then mix it with copper, resulting in a strong, valuable metal both for war and for coinage. Now, every citizen of the city would be familiar with this. Therefore, they would understand burnished bronze as an expression denoting the strength and the ability of the Savior to deal, with, to deal with whatever situation must be faced in Thyatira. And by the way, they did not have glass. Bronze, polished bronze was the closest thing they got to a mirror. And remember Paul wrote, we see dimly, but yet we'll see clearly there was that burnished bronze. You can see an image if it's fine, if it's uh, really polished up, but it's very difficult to see the details versus a mirror we have today. That's the difference that being made there. But my point being, everybody in the city would understand about that fine brass or that burnished bronze. Look what he says here. Forestburg Baptist Church, I know your deeds. No, he says, I know your deeds, but it's true here too, doesn't he? Doesn't he know exactly what we're doing? Church, yes, no. Yes. He talks about love. That word in the Greek is agape. A loving church. Demonstrating love for God and for other people. And that is a primary characteristic for the children of God. We are to be loving. Loving to each other. Loving to other people. Matthew chapter 23, 22 verses 37 through 40. And he said to them, 
Jesus speaking, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And you remember the lawyer who had to be listening? Oh, well, who is my neighbor? And we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'll spare you all the details. Basically, everybody is your neighbor. Piston or faith. That's the Greek word. Is piston. It's, it's faith. To trust in God rather than in this world. Now, I don't know about you, especially these last few years, how more that's ringing true to me now more than ever, because in this world things are so temporary, they're always shifting, but on God and God alone can I stand on his truth and have anchor no matter what the storm may be. Faithful perseverance in the midst of oppression and pressure. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. I know economic times are getting there. We have a war raging around the world. But dearly beloved, he is faithful. Don't give up. Don't waver. Hold strong to that anchor that does not give in the midst of a storm. Diaconus or service. Reference to an active life of care and help. Charitable service and ministry to other people. Doing service on behalf of somebody else. Nothing to gain, expecting nothing in return. You just do it. We have impact coming up. Uh, we'll have 300, I think 300 plus teenagers are going to invade Forestburg. <laughs> And they're going to be doing service. One of the great things I heard in these meetings that we're having is people will drive up, why are you doing this? Because we love God and we love you. And people just have that puzzled look on their face like, I don't get it. What's in it for you? It's nothing for us. We're serving God. And that throws people off when you serve. And you say, I don't want anything in return. I don't want your money. I'm doing it simply because of what God is doing in my life. And I want to share with you the love that he has for you. And look what he says in verse 19. Following in verse 19, the last sentence, I believe, of that verse. Your deeds of late are greater than at first, or literally the first. This is an indication of Christian maturity, contrary to what we see happening in the church of Ephesus. There were more good deeds that resulted in more impact. In contrast to when they were a young church, they're continuing to grow and mature. That should be true of us as a church, but also as individuals. Move on past the elementary teachings. The author of Hebrews says, grow and mature in your faith. See, the problem today is too many churches start off strong and they're on fire, but as time goes on, they fade. And it may be true in your own walk with the Lord. You remember the time, now think back, when you first gave your life to Christ. Man, you're on fire. You're going to go save the world. Tell them about the gospel. But over time, what happens? You lose steam. You start listening to the voice of the enemy telling you you can't make any difference. Dear beloved, more now than ever, listen to the voice of truth. Go out there and witness. Be the witness that God has called us to be. They need to hear it. 
Did he see it lived out before it's too late? And that's great what this church is doing. They're growing in their love and their faith and their service. But he comes to verse 20, but I have this against you. I have this complaint. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. That word tolerate, permit, allow, implies support as well as tolerance. At the very least, they are unwilling to take an active stand against her, a stand against this wicked and evil teaching that she was doing. Now, based on the text and the rest of the book of Revelation, I will tell you it's doubtful this reference is to the wife of Ahab, king of the northern kingdom. As she led him and the northern kingdom into Baal worship and sorcery, you can find that in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 31 through 34. Now, Baal worship was immoral, it was shameless, it was immodest, it was lustful. And look what she calls herself, a prophetess. Now, I'm not saying it's bad because she's a woman who calls herself a prophetess. What's bad here is what she's teaching. So as she's teaching this false doctrine, she's considered her own utterance on par with or superior to the writings of the apostle and prophets. She's claiming her teaching is coming straight from God himself. <laughs> I hope you listen. If I ever stand here and tell you I have a new prophecy from God himself, don't question me. You better take me out back and fire me because I'm lying to you. Especially if it goes in direct contradiction of what the word of God says. This is our plumb line. This is how we measure things. Now, no positive ID can be made for Jezebel. There are several suggestions. As I said, that some both a, I think about how to pronounce her name, that prophet. We don't really know for sure. But I tell you this, the people who heard this letter for the very first time would think about Jezebel in the Old Testament. And we don't want nothing to do with that. They understood what that meant. There he says, she's teaching and leads my bond service astray so that they commit acts of morality. Now let me set this next point up with this. Just bear with me. To maintain a livelihood in the city, you had to have membership in one of the guilds. It was a necessity. Now the problem with being a member of one of these guilds is that they participated in these feasts that involved meat being sacrificed to idols. And it was expected of you to participate in these feasts. And the patron gods or goddesses of that guild will worship during these feasts. So you have to become a member of one of these guilds, but you're expected to go to these feasts, and these things happened. And if you refuse to participate and not willing to compromise, you would face the anger of the pagan populace. You would face economic repercussions. You could lose your job. See, there were social and economic things that you would lose. Any of this sound familiar? Hmm, interesting how something can be written so long ago and just have such much meaning for us today as this is in back in those days. Now, Jezebel was probably teasing, there's nothing wrong in taking part of this stuff. Participation in the feasts and celebrations were merely a civil 
thing to do. Idols were nothing. It would not destroy your faith in God if you ate meat sacrificed to idols. So let me just ask this question, a rhetorical question. Put yourself in that situation. What would you tolerate? Would you be willing to compromise? And that word leads, as she leads them to do this, it means to seduce one into sin by leading one into error. So they don't come out and say this at first, but they kind of lead you down. And that's how Satan works. He tells one little lie. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And he leads you. And you take another step, another step. And you look, and I'm way over here, and God's way over there somewhere. What happened? I listened to the enemy one too many times. See, sin will always take you places that you never tend to go and keep you there a lot longer than you ever intended to be. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. By the way, that word sign is a testing miracle. You see John use it in his gospel when Jesus turned the water into wine. That's a testing miracle. So apparently these false Christs will do that. But the most disturbing part of this verse, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That means people who claim to be Christians will be taken away by these false Christs. You better believe it. You have, we have to stay in the Word, dearly beloved. So we will not be taken away by false doctrine and teaching. So they won't come out and first and tell you a big thing because you, you want to, wait, wait a second, I can't do that. But they lead you in just by small little lies and small twisting of the word. Look at verse 21. I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent. She's unwilling to repent. This is a gift given by the Lord to Jezebel. A chance to repent. Giving her and her followers an opportunity to change their ways. Because the time was almost up and judgment is imminent. Oh, I just... Is that what God is doing right now in this moment with all of us? Giving us a chance to repent before it's too late. The tragic thing is it's clear that she doesn't want to repent. And by the way, that's a present tense that's being used there. It's not just one time he gives her a chance. It's time and time and time and time again. How many times, dear beloved, has God come to you time and time and time again? Say, just confess it and repent and turn back to me. You see that all through Scripture, even the Old Testament with Israel. This is what I'm going to do if you would just simply confess and repent and turn back to me. See, she was willing to participate in the pagan religious practices. And therefore, she was committing adultery against God. And the sad thing is, he was leading some of the elect right down the same primrose path. Look what he just says in verse 22. I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery into great tribulation. Throwing or casting. This is Christ is the one who will cause this suffering. Illness for judgment. We see that in the Old Testament. Remember Job's friends? Job, what have you done? You have all this stuff happening to you. Of course, we know that's not the case because God and Satan have this discussion beforehand. And basically the accusation is, well, he will stop 
praising you, God, if you take everything away from him. Is that how we are? It's easy to pray God, praise God when everything's going good, amen? It's easy, right? But boy, when things start hitting the road and things start going bad. My mama died. How do I praise God through that? You've been there too. Many of you in this room. That's the most difficult thing to get through, in my opinion. But I remember the great promise of God. I will see her again. And in that moment, she won't be racked with pain and cancer. She'll be completely healed. Aren't you looking forward to that day? All the loved ones who've gone on will see them. No sin's going to be present. Oh, and top everything else, to see the risen Lord and see the imprints of the nails and the spear and his hands and his feet and his side. He says, those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. That's anyone. And I would say even the church members of this church who have been drawn into her teaching there at Thyatira. Now, they may not have gone as far as Jezebel has because they're described, they're not described as unwilling to repent. He says, unless they repent. So there's still time for it. Jezebel is pretty much sitting in her way. She doesn't repent, but according to the way verse 22 is written, unless they repent, there's still hope for them. They've been drawn to the circle, but yet they're not full members. And that's where I would echo to the world and to you today. Judgment is coming, but there's still time to repent and turn to Christ. It's not over yet, but the day is coming when it will cease. Verse 23, I will kill or strike her children with pestilence, the plague, or literally death. This is a distinct progression, the punishment of Jezebel and her followers to a sickbed, to great suffering, to death by plague. And the answer for healing and for life is to repent. And turn back to God. That's what everybody out there needs to hear. And perhaps even some of you in here need to hear that. If you're hurting, you're tired, you're worn out. The answer is turn back to God. He finishes up 23 when he does this. So that all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. This is the result of Christ's activity. All the churches are going to be warned by knowing of his power and judgment. And in the future, they will see the hand of the Lord fall on the evildoers. And may I say, when Christ searches a person, he makes a critical investigation. The deepest part of of a person's being is laid bare before the Lord. You, this is the way of illustration. You brush your teeth, take care of your teeth, floss your teeth, right? You may use mouthwash and you look in the mirror. Ooh, they look good. But you go to the dentist and what do they do? They put that little paper thing in your mouth, you know, you, and they take an x-ray of it and the x-ray says, oh, I have a cavity. But when I looked in the mirror, everything looked good. But when that penetrating x-ray was made, aha, there's a problem. See, everything looks good on me on the outside. Do I look okay? Do I look presentable? That's not a, I mean, please say yes. Thank you. But see, you don't know my heart. 
You know what I'm carrying inside. He does. See, on the outside, I may look fine, but inward, I'm crushed. I may be carrying a heavy burden. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10 says this. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to results, or literally fruit of his deeds. You can fool me, I can fool you, but we can never, never fool God. We can come in church, raise our sins, and say amen, praise God, but where is our heart? In verse 24, I say to you, the rest in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, they have rejected or refused to accept this teaching of Jezebel. They have not known, they they haven't believed. Jezebel may have taught the Christians to experience, look what it says in verse 24, the deep things of Satan or his so-called deep secrets. Now, she would probably admit that feasts and pagan environment are evil. However, she would claim they have no power over the believer. You should participate in these things and experience a deep thing of paganism. Therefore, you can be, master, be a master over it. That is a dangerous place to go. I've learned in my short 53, excuse me, 54 years on this planet, there are things I can stay and fight. There's times when I turn around and run and get out of Dodge. You start messing around with some of the stuff the world's offering, you better watch out. I want to echo again, we do have an enemy, and he's smart, and he's crafty. He'll lead you down the road, and before you know it, you'll be in a world of hurt. Don't even go there. And people say, well, God, why is God telling us don't, don't, don't? No, because God knows how we are. He made us. If I take this one step, it's a slippery slope, and God knows exactly where it's going to go. Don't even go there. He who overcomes, in verse 26, I will give authority over the nations. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, also in Mark 13, verse 13. All say this, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Paraphrase of Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. When the exalted Christ replaces the psalmist's inheritance with a new authority that is given to him to conquer the nations, a celebration of victory over God's anointing, victory over the kings of the earth. Perhaps he's talking here about the millennial reign of Christ and his followers for a thousand years. Look what he says. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. By the way, that word translated rule, literally it's shepherd. The one you find in Second Peter about shepherd the flock. Now that rod of iron, iron is not a king's scepter. Rather, it's referring to a shepherd's club, captain iron, that used for killing animals that endangers the sheep. And he says, with the rod of iron, and look at verse 27, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. Now, this is very interesting. They would take earthen vessels of pottery, and they would describe the, na- the uh, names of the nation's enemies. And then, ceremonially, they would smash those pottery, indicating victory over the enemy and the, the king of them. See, the imagery here is one of total destruction. Absolute devastation of hostile nations. And this would be carried out by the Messiah and his people. Forgive me, there is a reference in Revelation that tells him that 
describes Jesus as his robe looks like as it's been dipped in blood. And he steps the wine press, the fierce wine press of the Lord. Know what he's doing there, the imagery? He's stomping out his enemies like that, and the blood splatters up. And the last thing they see is Lord of Lords. Now, I know that's a different Jesus than we've been taught a lot in Sunday school. But his judgment and wrath are coming. And he will deal with people. Sin will be dealt with one way or the other. He says, also, as I received authority from my Father, is a chain of authority from the Father to the Son and to the overcomer, the one who overcomes and keeps his deeds. It reminds me of John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Let me, let me, as the Father sent Jesus here, he's sending you all out there to be his witnesses, to proclaim his mercy and love before it's too late. Now, this is the interesting thing, right? I will give him the morning star. I'm not going to bore you with anything I read about this. Basically, the jury is still out. There's different scholars say it means different things. Not quite sure what it means. But Rome would have a symbol of a star. It would have this. It indicated their sovereignty and might. And it was placed on their banners to display that they were invincible. But in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, maybe this is a reference to Christ himself. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. Listen to this. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Ooh, I'm getting excited. Bear with me. Is Jesus saying, the one who overcomes, keeps my deeds, I'm going to give him myself, my presence, a relationship? Wow. The one who died on the cross. Jesus said, I'm going to give you me. Dearly beloved, what can compare to being with Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, forever? What can, what can compare to that? We talk about heaven and the, rose, uh, the uh, roads made of gold and the pearly gates. Yes, that's beautiful. But the point being made, what is that in comparison to seeing the risen Christ who paid for your salvation? To be in his presence for all eternity where sin is totally eradicated. I have no idea what that's going to be like. And the book of Revelation does describe it, but no matter how well I try to articulate it, it ain't going to come close to the truth when I see it with my own eyes. It's a crucial that we are to be growing in our love, faith, and service, and perseverance, just like the church in Thyatira. We need to be maturing as individuals and as a church. We must fight against false teaching, cult movements, and we must take a strong stand against that. The first step is to look into the Scripture and see what it has to say, and then make an application 
as we look into our world. Do you realize what's being taught out there? What's being proclaimed as the gospel and God's word? That's the reason we started this table talk, to sit down and look at these issues. What does the word of God say? We need to protect the church from those who are deceitful, dishonest, and scheming. Those who lead followers of Christ astray. And they do so in order to build their own kingdom. Have you, found, have you figured that out yet? There used to be an old preacher a long time ago, smoking a cigar. He'd be on the air. I kid you not, he would fold his hands. I'm not going to say another word to you, to you offer up, to you give $20,000 or something like that. And he'd sit there, and guess what? The money would come in. Now, I dare say if I said that here this morning, <laughs> that'd be it for me. <laughs> I'll say, thank you, Tim. We'll see you later. Goodbye. But it never really happens that bold and in your face. It's usually just slowly. Make sure that you read your Bible and make sure I'm handling the word of truth correctly. You realize that's your responsibility out there in the pew. Because people's eternal destinations are hanging in the balance. If I say something that's directly against God's word, you better stop me. Because this is serious business. It's nice in here. We have a nice facility, don't we? It's nice. But spiritually speaking, this is a mass unit. People are hurt. Looking. See, they water down the faith. Try to make it more pleasing. In other words... Tickle your ears. Tell you what you want to hear rather than telling you what the Word of God says. And that's not an easy thing to do. To make sure that I'm proclaiming correctly and accurately what the Word of God says. See, many compromise their walk with Christ for many reasons. Perhaps to increase, to enhance their profits or to keep their jobs. We must make certain that God is the one in charge. You must consider your employment, your career, even as you go. Some of you are still in school as a student. That is your calling from God. That is your mission field. Use it as an opportunity to magnify and exalt the risen Christ. Some people talk about going to North American Mission Board or to the International Mission Board. That's great and wonderful. We need more missionaries. But don't wait to be sent somewhere. Look around you. I see a coach in here. I've heard his testimony. And I know he's using that school as his mission field. I've seen it with my own eyes. Way to go, coach. But each one of you have a mission field, people you can talk to. And when stuff is proclaimed on TV and it's false, now I'm not saying you should just hit them upside the head with a book or something. Talk to them. Engage them. But you need to be thorough enough with the Word of God that you can speak truth and not just opinion. Uh, 
very briefly, I, I was talking to a gentleman at, at the airport. And I can't remember all the conversation, but basically he said, well, I don't believe the Bible. We're having that discussion. But then he wanted to support his ethics or his behavior, what he was doing, by Scripture. I said, wait a second, you can't do that. You say you don't believe the Bible, yet you're pulling in a document that you don't believe in to support your argument. That's an oxymoron. You can't do that. He just gave me that deer-in-the-headlight look. Now, I didn't love. I didn't do it called hateful. Give him something to think about. Throw that truth at him. Act different than everybody else. It will get noticed. Well, I never see Dow use profanity in the workplace. That gets noticed. Something as simple as blessing your food before you eat it while you're at work or at school before you eat lunch, that gets noticed. If you're that friend of that especially in the school, that one kid that gets picked on and bullied all the time, but yet you're a friend to him and stand up to the other people, so you shouldn't pick on him like that. That gets noticed. Use that opportunity to say, it's not because of me, it's all because of him. We have to take a strong stand and do so in love. The heat is being turned up here in the United States, if you haven't noticed we, the people of God, have to take a strong stand and present the gospel as accurately and truthfully as we possibly can. Because let's not forget, there's only two places you can go, heaven or hell. And the only way you get into heaven, yes, I'm a preacher, yes, I've been to seminary, that doesn't get me heaven, my relationship to God the Father through His Son Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior is the only reason I'm going to get there. The only reason. The only way you go to hell is you reject Him. Simple as that. Where is your heart at this morning? I cannot help but think God is calling all of us to go deeper with Him. Mature in our relationship so we can be his witnesses in a lost and dying world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word. Father, our desire to be, we want to be your witnesses. We want to see people come and give their lives to you. Father, we desire to mature in our faith and grow deeper in our relationship with you. Father, we want to speak the truth. Everything that we have and everything that we are is all because of you and your grace shown to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray even now that you would break every chain knock down every wall that might be stopping someone to answering to your voice, the voice of truth. May your spirit continue to move among us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just stand with me, please.